for that truth. And thanks for that, that that truth is backed up in your word. God, that you are a good, good father. And in the same way, earthly fathers, even though we are evil compared to you, we love to give good gifts to our children. How much more, Jesus says, will our heavenly father give good gifts to his children? And, and most specifically, how much more will, will our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So God, we're asking this morning that you would pour out your goodness and pour out your Holy Spirit on us. God, that we could look more and more like Jesus every day. And God, would you just crack the the shell of our hardness around our hearts and and just expose the soft area so that we we can hear from you and we can learn from you and we can love you better. Thank you for your goodness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a seat. Hey, I, I really appreciate the band. I'm usually in the band. Can I, I thank you guys. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Yeah, thanks for leading us. Um, my name's Dwight, and in a minute, I'm, I'm going to introduce you to my awesome friend, Greg. Uh, but if you're new here, uh, welcome. We're excited that you are here. I'm normally part of the music, uh, but today I get the, the opportunity to be in a conversation with Greg Dempster. So I met Greg three years ago, and we have a mutual friend named Josh who shot me an email one day, and he says, hey, Dwight, you you need to meet my friend Greg. And I don't know about you, but whenever I get emails like that, I felt like I was being set up on a mandate, you know? (laughs) And and I'm like, eh. So I think I let it go for like a month or two, and then Josh shot me back another email, and he's like, dude, trust me, you need to meet my friend Greg. Like, he, he's been a worship leader for years, and now God's taken him into this, to this whole new season, and I just really feel like you guys would have a lot in common, and I thought, okay, fine. You know, last thing I need is another friend, you know? So, uh, anyway, so I contacted Greg, and he drove from Grand Rapids to Holland. We met at Salt and Pepper uh, for lunch, and, and we met at noon, and at 4 o'clock... When the people come out with the vacuum cleaners, <laughs> Greg and I are still yakking it up, and we're like, four hours has gone by just like that. And we were pouring out our lives to each other, and we were pouring out our pain <laughs> to yeah. each other, um, just life and ministry and just life in general. And I, I truly, I'm so grateful that Josh reached out to me. And so Greg... Uh, said to me that morning a couple things that, that changed the course of my life in some very significant ways. Number one, he looked me in the eye and he said, Dwight, God is so crazy about you. He says, I just feel this so strongly. Just He's crazy about you. And he wants to bring healing into your life. And he wants to bring wholeness into your life. And, and if there's anything I can do as a brother in Christ to walk alongside you, he says, you got my number. Just call me. And I thought, cool. I got a new friend, a new brother. So a year went by, and I don't think we really talked at all during that, that whole year. And in the spring of 2017, I was going through some major transitions in my life, and, and I felt lost in some ways. And I remembered Greg's invitation. I called him up, and I said, I need you. So he met me in Grand Rapids uh, at, a, at a restaurant, 
And at that point, I, I started hanging with Greg, and Greg uh, started a ministry called Christ Life Ministries. So he meets with, with leaders, mostly pastors. Uh, I'm a worship guy, but yeah. you uh, uh, included me in this process. So he meets with 18 to 20 Christian leaders from all around West Michigan every week, just as a, as a, as a spiritual director, as a mentor, and as a friend, you know, just to... So anyway, Greg, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. And, you know, we're doing this series on practicing the presence of God, and we had thrown out this idea of talking about the abiding life. And that's what Greg and I have spent hours and hours talking about, this picture that we see in John chapter 15 of the abiding life. And I said to Matt and Brendan, I said, can I bring my friend Greg? <laughs> um, so that just gives you a little bit of context. So... Uh, Greg, take us in. Fantastic. It's, it's just an honor to be with you guys. You know, you don't know what you have uh, here at this church. I mean, prior to the gathering, we were just in the back with all of your staff team, your senior pastor, uh, just bowing their hearts before God, seeking him uh, ardently. I mean, there couldn't be more, something more significant to the overall health and vitality of a church than having its leadership uh, seeking God's face. And today, what we're going to do is we're just going to uh, build a little bit in the area of John 15 on that foundation that God's already laid here. And what we want to do is we want to look at kind of three aspects. We're, we're not just going to tear apart John 15. What we want to do is we want to wade into, first of all, what are the things that interfere with us connecting with God in the way that we know that the Scripture promises uh, that we can connect with Him? And then number two, We're going to talk about the nature of chaos, how to come out of chaos, how to come out of the chaotic nature of our lives into the presence of the true Jesus, and then we'll hit John 15 and also 1 John 2 and talk about this word, meno, and what it means to us as God's people. And so that's where we're going to go today. I hope that's okay with you. Um, Where we want to start, where I start with leaders, again, I, I work with pastoral leaders, uh, all over West Michigan. In fact, the ministry's grown to five states now. And pastors are just like all of the rest of us. They struggle with the same things that we're struggling with in this room, that we bring into this room this morning. And really, as I begin to work with leaders, I begin with this, this peace, this reality, and it's this, that there's this chasm that we all experience that, that is in the middle of what we believe to be true about God, and yet, what we're experiencing daily. So we can have our hearts warmed. We can have our hearts um, uh, moved by God as we read his holy word or as we're sitting under Matt's teaching here at Victory Point. But then we go home, we engage the workaday world, and we're experiencing this huge difference between what we believe to be true and what we're experiencing daily. What I want to tell you today is don't be concerned about that. That's what we all experience. And God is committed to moving us through the sanctification process to a point where more and more and more what we're believing to be true about God and what we're experiencing daily is coming together to the point where what I'm believing is what I'm seeing God do day in and day out in my own life. So how do we move from this? Can you share the example that the good, good father? Oh, for sure. So it was about a year ago that I was leading worship in a church. I was helping a friend of mine. And 
And that guy, uh, we had just finished that song, Good, Good Father. And I sat down in the front row with him, and he put his arm around me, and he just said, I just got to tell you, man, I love that song. And God uses it profoundly in our congregation, but I'm really conflicted on the inside because my relationship growing up with my father was as broken as it could be. In fact, he regularly, I hope it's okay to talk this way here, but he regularly called me an F up in life, regularly. So as I sing that song, I know that God's a good father, but every example of a father that I've had in life has been everything but good, and so there's conflict. That's exactly what we're talking about related to this chasm between what we believe to be true about God and and what we're experiencing personally. Mm -hmm. So how do we begin to... um, dissect this? How do we move forward? What's the practical step from where we are today into uh, a a growing, uh, vital uh, relationship with Jesus? The first is understanding something that we call lenses, okay? So I'll never forget, it was a couple years ago, I was rereading Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I read this line, I think we've got it for you, and I about fell out of my chair. He says this, None of us, none of us in this room see the world as it is. We see the world as we are, that we're gazing through the lenses of all our past experiences and we're using them as a means to interpret what we're experiencing presently. I'm doing that right now. You're doing that unknowingly. You're gazing through the lens of all your past experiences, whether it be church experiences or whether it be uh, a number of other experiences, and you're using that as a means to interpret this moment. Well, what happens when much of our past is broken? We bring to this moment that brokenness, whether we like it or not. And some of you are feeling that right now. I can see it on your faces. Some of you have tremendous brokenness in the past. Some of you don't have tremendous brokenness, but nonetheless, uh, you were raised in a family where there wasn't great relational interaction with your parents. There was, there was just stuff there that still remains with you today. Let's take another step. As we're looking at lenses and learning how to invite God into the deeper parts of our lives, it's really important to understand the structures of healing, which is very simply this, that when I have unprocessed wounds, when I have things that have happened in my life that I didn't work through or walk through with either a parent or a grandparent, or an uncle, or somebody that can help me think correctly about it, that unprocessed wound more than likely will turn into a distorted perspective. So I'll have distortions in my life as a result of unprocessed wounds. Those distortions will always create dysfunctional emotion. It might be some of the dysfunctional emotion that you're feeling right now, whether it be anxiousness, tension, fear, um, melancholy. If there's a cyclical pattern to your dysfunctional emotion more than likely it has its roots in unprocessed wounds. So unprocessed wounds lead to distortions. Distortions create dysfunctional emotion. Dysfunctional emotion creates dysfunctional lifestyle choices. You Talk to us about, t- about 10 to reactions. Yeah, okay, so real simply, we just try to keep things simple in the world that I live in. So when you're finding yourself regularly over-responding at a 10, when it should be a 2, like if you had three or four other people experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing in that moment, and they wouldn't have, their emotional state wouldn't have risen above a two or a three, and you're up at a 10 maxing it, and you see 
a regular pattern to those over-responses. Some of you are smiling right now. If you're seeing a regular pattern to those over-responses, again, it's probably because there's junk in the trunk that God wants to wade into as a, as a loving Savior, a kind Savior, a good Father, and bring healing. How's that? So, can we be real here? Who here has ever experienced a 10-2 reaction? Come on, man. Me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm not alone. <laughs> well, those, those who know me well know that, that I, I have some pet 10-2 reactions. Um, and uh, for me, chewing sounds, I don't know if this gets to anybody else, but, but if somebody's chewing, you know, when, you know when people chew gum and the, it cracks while they're chewing it? They're just chewing it, but little air bubbles start cracking. I just get this visceral response, and I want to punch whoever that is in the face. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you, brother. This is the gospel. Anyway, that would be classified as a 10-2 reaction, whereas everybody else around me is like, what's the big deal? Or if you've got you somebody know? in your life that reminds you of a father that, that was where there was a broken relationship, or any type of getting too much of what you didn't need or not enough of what you needed growing up, there's potential there. Last piece to this portion, mm-hmm. and it's this. Here's the good news in it all, that we, family, are not the sum total of all our past experiences, both good and bad. You're not the negative byproduct of the environment that you are raised in or the damage that happened to you growing up. The promise, the hope, the, the, the good a gift of the gospel tells us that our core, the core essence of who we are is uh, children of God, that we're, our identity is firmly rooted in Him. If you were to kind of plumb the depths of, of who you are personally, if you were to look at yourselves in the way that God sees you, what you would see at the very base of the foundation is you'd see this great gift of identity that God wove together. Look at Ephesians 2.10. That would be a great place to to look if you want to do more work here. But that identity is gifted and created by God and not something that you can earn in life. That you are not the sum total of all your past experiences, both good and bad. You're a a person that God's made. And oh, by the way, if you're saved, he's come and made his home right in the center of that identity. Right on. So how, how do we typically, as you meet with pastors and leaders day after day after day. Well, how do we tend to work out these issues on our own? Okay, so that's so good. Um, Most of us live, whether we would label it this way or not, with a certain amount of chaos that we're, uh, boy, we could, this is 180 uh, minutes of experience that we're trying to weave into 30 minutes. So you got to strap on your your safety belt here because we're going to go. The word uh, in the New Testament for flesh uh, is the Greek word sarx. And the best way to interpret that word is the independent life. When I'm living independently, when I'm living according to whatever I can bring to the table, cognitively, physically, uh, outside of the aid of God, I'm living the independent life. And living the independent life bears fruit. It, it creates chaos. But isn't independence a good thing? Yeah. Well, you know what? It, uh, initiative is a good thing. But really, dependence, coming to the place of being able to, to safely 
uh, surrender our lives to Christ is the, the best way to go. Yeah. So really, if we're going to diagram this, every one of, this, of us in this room is, is experiencing pressure. Number one, at the foundation is the pressure of this world. You know, Romans 12, Paul talks about uh, living according to the pattern of this world. He's just like, hey, don't do it anymore. Don't live according to the pattern of this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so, so that you can test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. By the way, I'll give you a freebie. If you're struggling with determining God's will in your life, maybe it's because there's portions of your life that are still wrapped around the axle of living according to the worldly, this worldly system. And that if you would move towards God, then maybe your eyes, your heart would be opened up to the very will of God in your life. So we have this foundation, which is the pattern of this world. And, and, it, and it, we could, there are hundreds of ways that that plays itself out in our lives. We're going to address two to keep it simple. Number one is the primary messaging of the world. The primary messaging of the world to every one of us in this room is what you are is not enough. If you can work on this capacity, maybe you've got a chair at the table. But what you are at the core is not enough. You've got to work harder. You've got to produce something. You've got to do something more than what you're doing now in order to be good enough. Number two, the primary uh, valuing system of the world is this. You're valuable according to what you can produce what you own, and what people say about you. So again, it's all about you, isn't it? It's all about the independent life. That I'm, My whole sense of value is wrapped around this performance orientation and, oh, by the way, the dysfunctional need for people to approve of you. So many of the most successful people in this room, successful people in general, are driven by that valuing system and you can sit when the day's done and they have millions that are saved and they look at you face to face and say, I'm just as empty as I was when I was a 14-year-old. That I haven't figured this thing out. Well, Jesus wants us to figure that out today. So again, if we're going to move forward into what we've talked about, what are the solutions that we, that we create to try to fix this chaos that we're living in? Really, it's, the, it's this collision of all of our wounds all of our distortions and brokenness, and then the, the pressure of the pattern of this world. Well, when we're creating uh, solutions from chaos, guaranteed, all it's going to do is perpetuate chaos in our lives. In fact, out of all the leaders that I've worked with, hundreds of them over the years, most of them come up with these same solutions right here, that to fix what's going on now, I've just got to double down and work harder. Anybody here in that, in that camp? That's me mm-hmm. for sure. Work harder, perform better, which is all about um, fixing how you're perceived. It's, it's kind of like reinventing yourself, putting on a better mask. The problem with masks is that they're the only thing that are loved and appreciated. You put on a good mask, it's appreciated, and you go away realizing that they don't really know you. Number three is this. We focus on gaining more approval, securing better approval. Number four is Jesus. And usually when I throw that out with a leader, he will look at me and say, what do you mean Jesus? I'll tell you this. Any time that we're using Jesus as a means to our own end, we're going to have a broken experience. If I'm using Jesus to help me perpetuate the independent life, you'll find mixed results. Some of you have had mixed results regarding your, your, your interaction, your prayer life with God. 
it might be because of what you're aiming your prayers at obtaining. If it's all about value, becoming valuable or good enough, God's going to be absent maybe for a season to help you actually come to him and be changed. So I, I remember like it was yesterday, it was a couple years ago, I was on my way to Grand Rapids to meet with Greg and I was going through some particular challenges and I, and I realized that, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when I need God for something specific, my relationship with God has an uptick, right? I pray more. I read, I, man, I'm, I'm scouring the scriptures. But as soon as I push through that thing, then, boosh, there's this lull. And I showed up to Greg's one day, and I said, Greg, all the way here, I've been thinking about the fact that I'm closer to God when I need him for something. Why is that? And he looked at me, and he just said, it's simple. He says, we use Jesus for our own ends. Instead of treating Jesus as an end in and of himself. And I can't tell you, friends, what a light bulb turned on in my mind. I just went, oh, I've been doing that my whole life, my whole Christian walk. So just reorienting and, and putting Jesus instead of the, the, the sugar daddy that can get me where I want to <laughs> get uh, as, as the, the end of my pursuit was a game changer for me. A game changer for me, too. It was a game changer for me this morning as I was praying over you, uh, having God bring me to the place of realizing I've got nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. I'm no more valuable, no less valuable, depending on how this goes. It's all him. And then as we're free to, to live out already being valued, then all of a sudden we're free to really pray. So uh, another quote. Can I give you another quote? This one was significant to me from Watchman Nee. Uh, okay, good. Dwight keeps me on task here. Uh, so Watchman Nee, uh, I was reading The Normal Christian Life, and, and I read this quote, and I realized, wow, I've had a completely broken uh, uh, understanding of, of the primary work of the evil one and his kingdom. And, and the quote, of course, says this. You can see it, that Satan's temptations are not designed primarily to make us do something particularly sinful but merely to cause us to act in our own energy. Think about that. Take that to the bank. That, that he loves to break up marriages. He loves all this, the, 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 the garbage that's going on politically in the United States today. He's all about wars and rumors of wars, but really at the core of all of that is he wants us to move through life depending on ourselves instead of truly depending on God. And, and so what God would have us do today is take a step towards him and say, I, I, I want that to change. I want to move out of this chaos and I want to move towards you, God. I want to move into the presence of the true Jesus. And so if it's okay with you, we'll begin to move towards John 15 right now. But there's some steps that we need to take as God's people out of our chaos, into the presence of the true Jesus. And I'll give them to you. Of course, we can't spend any time on them, but you can take these passages and meditate on them, and God will change you through them. Okay, mm-hmm. so the first one is, is Matthew eleven twenty eight. The first step out of chaos 
is understanding that Jesus invites you to come to him just as you are. You don't need to fix up all the brokenness in your life. Uh, uh, fix up the stuff that you're ashamed about from last night. Maybe it's the, the knockdown drag out that you had with your bride or your, your oldest daughter or your teenage son. You don't need to shove that down and fix it before you come to him. What Jesus is inviting us to do, in fact, the invitation of Matthew eleven twenty eight are to those who are weary and heavy laden. If your life has caused you to be at one level or another weary and heavy laden, that's the only requirement that Jesus gives us this morning to come to him. He says, I just want you to come to me just as you are. In fact, what I want to be is the guest of the worst part of you. I'm not afraid of who you are on the inside. You don't need to do what we do in West Michigan, which is mow the lawn, keep everything on the outside of the house looking perfect, and then keep that brokenness hidden way back in the back room. Jesus says that's where I want to start. As he knocks on the door of our lives, and we open it up surprised because we weren't expecting a visitor, he wants to move right into that back and that, that broken place of ours and being, begin bringing his life. Number two, so we need to come as we are. Number two, number two is this. Inability, our inability is the thing that Jesus is asking for us to bring to him. Now, the interesting thing here with, with uh, John 5.19 is that Jesus modeled this in his ministry for us. John 5.19 says this. Truly, the Son of God can do nothing on his own. Well, we all firmly believe we're deeply rooted in, in good theology. We believe in the hypostatic union. We know that Jesus is both God and man. But Jesus is saying something for us to understand here today. And that is for him to provide the ransom or the salvation for all mankind. He had to do it in complete dependence on his Father. It was the Father working through him. That he even as we're beginning to get close to John 15 right now, he was needing to connect with his father like he invites us to connect with him as a branch connects to the vine. So for us, as Jesus is not only the means for salvation, but he's also a model for all New Testament life, we need to look at him as, as paving the way, living this out over the course of his 33 years of, ministry, of life, three years of... Uh, three, 30 years of life and uh, three years of ministry and understand that my inability is a precious commodity to him. It's only my self-sufficiency that keeps me away from him. Number three. Are we moving fast enough? <laughs> this is perfect. Okay, good. John 15. Do you want to read that? Yeah. Can I invite you to... Whoops. I would invite you to, to close your eyes uh, and just let your ears take this in. In light of everything that Greg has just shared with us, these are the words of Jesus to you. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain or abide in me. 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's so rich. Um, I used to live in Alaska, and we would teach all these folks that were just giving their lives to Christ for the first time. They weren't raised in any, in any uh, f- type of Christian environment growing up. And yet they encountered Jesus and were radically changed by him. And I got the opportunity to kind of teach this, this class where we would help these folks come to know Christ and, and begin to understand the expectations for, for Christ's life. And one of those pieces was, was John 15. And we just did this really simple illustration. We'd have a, a water bottle like this, a straw, and, and I'd hold it up and just say, what this passage is wanting, it, this passage is, is leaning towards helping us understand very simply is that Jesus, the, the, the John 1 living God who, who created everything. I mean, the Hubble telescope tells us there's 100 billion galaxies that are observable today. We're one of them. That in our galaxy alone, there's a hundred billion planets. We're on one of them. And that same Jesus in John 15 invites us to do nothing more than this. He says, I'm the true source of all life. Not just with your life. But in all of the world. In all of the universe. What life do you provide yourself? None. And I invite you now, as a result of my shed blood and the finished work of the cross, to approach me like a branch and remain in me and a marvelous thing will take place. That as you remain in me, you will naturally bear fruit. Well, some of you are saying, what kind of fruit is that? And we have all kinds of fruit that could be born in, in our lives. 1 John 2, 6 gives us a snapshot of some of the fruit that can be born as we remain in him. John the Apostle says this, that if you remain in me, and the, the shared common word between John 15 and 1 John 2, 6 is meno, that's a Greek word which just very simply means make your home with me, or please don't leave. So we're in the house of God, we're meeting with him, we're getting uncomfortable, we're getting ready to leave, we've got tasks at hand, and we hear his voice just saying over and over and over again, oh, please don't go. I, I don't want you to just stop in and visit, I just want you to make your home with me. I want more and more of your life filled with me. I want you to get up in the morning and meet with me. I want you to, to, for you to be uh, having face-to-faces with me uh, and experiencing real life all throughout your day. I want you to bring me into everything that you do. That's how I've designed life to be lived. There's no life outside of me. So as I'm connecting to the true vine as a branch with no life in myself, the life-bringing sap of the Almighty flows through me and I bear fruit. 1 John 2, 6, though, says this, that if any of you claims to meno, remain in me, 
you ought to walk as Jesus walked. Now, I don't know if uh, my experience growing up was any different than yours, but I grew up getting beat up by that passage, that really my value is directly related to how I was proving that I was a Christian as a result of how hard I was working, okay? That's not the point of the passage at all. What John is saying is that the byproduct or the fruit of engaging in abiding relationship with the true vine is that you will, uh, by the nature of God's work in you, begin to more and more and more live like him. That God hasn't designed Christ's life to be performed by us. He actually has come and made his home in us. And that as I allow him to remove the debris that's interfering with, the independent life that's interfering with his life pouring through me, all of a sudden I bear fruit. And that first fruit is that I begin to live as he's living. Now, I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of decades. I've got a Bible degree, a master's degree. I've got 23 years of full-time pastoral ministry. I spent a lot of those decades trying to perform the Christian life. And when I was set free or began to be set free, it was a game changer. That I have the living one, the almighty, abiding within me. And he wants to grant me his life. In fact, it's a life that's being granted or offered to all of us in this room. And we can then begin to naturally, as a result of connecting with him, taking the steps out of chaos, coming just as we are, admitting our inability, engaging in John 15 abiding relationship, we, begin, we can begin to uh, see his life pour out of us. A couple pieces that are important. Do you have time for it? Yeah. Okay. Two Greek, one Greek word, one Hebrew word. Epigenosis is a word that's often translated in the New Testament as knowledge. So if you read the NIV, um, some of, I think it's, it's 18 different times in the New Testament, the word that you read as knowledge is epigenosis, but epigenosis denotes or it communicates much more than just gathering facts. What it's about is ex- growing in knowledge through experience. Now, we all work at one level or another. We're parents. We're, we're, we have careers. We do things much more efficiently 10 years into a job than we did on day one. In the same way, God wants us to understand that, that the real experience of God, knowing him as a person, knowing him as the Almighty, mm-hmm. setting apart time like Hebrews eleven six 6 encourages us to do, to earnestly seek uh, the, the book of James, to draw near to God. As we draw near to him, as we set apart time to, to, to know him and to have him uh, declutter our lives, what ends up happening is we begin to experience tremendous, tremendous change. But do you see it? It's, it's as a result of, of experiential knowledge. I'm beginning to know him personally. And we also get to know him corporately as we gather here on Sundays. The second piece is real similar. It's the word, the Hebrew word yada. And yada in the Old Testament, among many things, denotes the intimacy that, that a husband has with a wife. That's intimate knowing. That's experiential knowing. And that, by the way, is the same word that God uses when he encourages us to know him. What do you think about that? 
He just wants us to know every part of him. He wants us to draw near to him and be changed by him. He wants us to be responding to all that we see God is Mm -hmm. and having that turn into pursuit. I mean, which one of us wouldn't be interested in an hour with the creator of all the universe? Mm -hmm. You see how that begins to change us? When it's not on my task list anymore to perform the Christian life. But it's Jesus' job to do that in me. And he promises to heal me. He promises to change me. He promises to be every bit of life that I need to to live the life that he has designed me to be. Then I, I find my, my heart racing to him. Mm-hmm. And I want to move into a time right now. Uh, if the band could take the stage, that would be great. Um, we're going to spend just a few minutes practicing what we've just been talking about. And as the band takes the stage, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not a native to West Michigan, but I've been here over 30 years, and I've picked up this vibe that there's, there's, a, there's a sturdy spirituality yes. here. But a lot of times what that spirituality looks like, and maybe you can relate to this, it's I serve God by working hard yeah. and providing for my family. Yeah. And all these words that you're talking about, abiding and remaining and gazing, and I mean, all that's just a little outside my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, so I want, if you can help us, even right now, just go into a time of just doing this, just that's connecting so in. And then we're going to sing a song that's a, it's a moldy oldie, but it's one of my absolute favorites. And I, um, There's nothing moldy about this. It's just There's awesome nothing moldy song. about it. But, uh, so, yeah. Would you be willing to bow your heads with me? Really, you're just inviting us to, to draw near to you. To set aside time to invest in knowing you personally. And Lord, really, in many different ways, how we're living is a manifestation of where we're abiding. That if we were to look at the fruit of our lives, it would, it would, it would paint a picture of where we've been focusing our attention that you invite us in Luke eleven thirty four 34 to, to gaze at you, that the, the eyes are the lamp of the body, and if our eyes are simple and single, then our eyes will bring light to our, our lives. But if our, our eyes are, are fixed on chaos, our lives will be filled with darkness. It's just very simple. So I'm just asking, Lord, for your grace. I'm asking for your grace this morning. I'm asking for just the grace to be unable and to come as we are. Yes, Lord. We're going to respond right now to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 says this, that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest and he invites us to come to a real throne and that throne is the throne of grace, the throne of I will do it for you. In your heart of hearts, we're not going to invite you to come forward unless you want to come forward this morning. You've got nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose in this moment. 
But there's a throne, a throne of grace, a throne of I will do it for you that Jesus exhorts us to approach to receive what? Help and mercy in our time of need. In your heart of hearts, if you need help and mercy to leave the independent life, begin to engage in John 15, seeking, drawing near, uh, lifting your gaze to him, then in your heart of hearts, maybe with nobody else live, uh, looking, you want to raise your palms just out of your lap? Just raise your palms to him and just say, I just have need, God, and I'm so broken and needy. I just need you to come and lift me out of my own independence. Yes, Lord. And bring, bring your life to me. I'm full of my life called out the Christian life. Would you fill me with Christ's life? We're just going to pause here for a minute or so. I want you to just allow God to help lift your gaze to him. Pray to him. Invite him to help you. Keeping our eyes on Jesus now, if there's something specific 